0: If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.magaw, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at five-star B-D-M, B for brand, D for development, and for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on follow the brand. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another fantastic show on the Follow the Brand podcast. This week, I would like to emphasize the importance of pivoting along your life's journey with confidence. This is the point of view from Leon Green, a 20-plus year health IT professional. He weaves a story that leads him from his home island of Jamaica to the U.S., where he does not know a soul and is challenged to make his mark in the world. Leon Green says, it is a good idea to develop survival skills with an open mind that teach you to fully realize your opportunities with an appetite to advance yourself through education and training. Take the time to understand your craft and do not be afraid to embrace change. Leon Green received a Master of Science degree in Electrical Engineering from the State University of New York Binghamton campus and is currently Director of the Project Management Office at Vita's Healthcare, the nation's leading provider of -of end-of-life care. He was born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica and immigrated to the United States in 1987. He has over 25 years of experience in health information technology with work experiences from multiple corporations in healthcare, transportation and logistics, consulting and systems integration. He has a passion for achieving health information technology goals by serving the interests of healthcare practitioners and non-practitioners with an interest in improving the delivery of medical care and public health while lowering costs, increasing efficiency and improving patient experience. His current projects focus on the area of digital transformation. Now, Leon was a member of his corporation's team that won the HEMS South Florida Chapter's first innovation award for presenting a live solution that supported caregivers in the delivery of health care during the patient's end-to-end journey from referral to discharge. In addition, Leon serves on the HEMS South Florida Chapter board as co-chair of the membership committee for the last two years. In this time, he works at meeting membership renewal recruitment and retention goals by providing a delightful member experience. Let's give a warm welcome to Leon Green on the Follow the Brand podcast, where you can learn to build a five-star brand that people can follow. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a very, very special guest on Follow the Brand. And, you know, we've just launched our TV series. I don't know if we're going to get Mr. Uh, Green, who Leon Green will be our guest today, to actually do the broadcast series. But we, we, we're we going to go him into it. But I want to tell you about Leon Green just a little bit. I've known him about five plus years We've been associated through one of the associations that I'm uh, fond of, that is Hems uh, Hems South Florida, and we work together at uh, his company that he works for at Vitas Healthcare, where he is the director of IT PMO, and he's a wonderful, wonderful soul. I remember going to a baseball game with him uh, a few years back, and he brought his wife out. We went to the Marlins game, and he came out, and really, really had a great. Great time! It's always good to see people out of context, out of outside the office. You really get a good feel for people, not just business, business, business. It's about business and personality and what's happening. And people buy from people that they like. They they understand each other, and it kind of go goes beyond just the uh, uh, the routine of, of of just a typical meeting. So I want to introduce you to Leon Green and and tell you a little bit more about his story. So Leon let us know.
1: Okay, so let me start at the beginning. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? Starting at the beginning. but <laughs> well, I'm, I'm from Kingston, Jamaica. I grew up in on the Highlands, so um, left there um, after high school uh, to come to the U.S. for grad school. Um, after graduating from high school, though, I did work uh, my first job was really at a, at the college there, not the college that I graduated from. I graduated from the University of Western Indies, but there's a college there, College of Arts, Science and Technology, which was more geared to equipping young people with skills that they could hit the job market with immediately. You know, the university is more academic, more theoretical, more erudite, if you will. Uh, the college was more like, um, you know, you know, touching stuff, feeling stuff, doing stuff with your hands. Um, and so when you left there, you had skills that um, was immediately marketable. Um, you know, it kind of reminded of the apprenticeship of the old um, European system where you're, you're an apprentice, you studied under a professional, and you gain certain skills before you were, you know, you hit the job market. But the college did have a, a diploma and I taught in the engineering department at the time because at the university, I did a, a Bachelor of Science in Applied Physics. Figure, yeah, applied yeah. To mathematics, and so I was teaching at the college there, uh, their undergraduate, their diploma engineering program. So I worked there for about two, three years, and um, I always wanted to um, go back to school after after my graduation. You know, my undergrad, I thought that saw that as just a stepping stone or the first step in many, if you will, and so I always wanted to continue my education. So I got an opportunity. Um, in 1980, I'm going to age myself now, in 1987. And I came to the United States. And it was so funny because I'm left in really hot, sunny Kingston in summer, because I remember leaving there about um, August to start school here in the fall, in late August. And I ended up in a school upstate New York. (laughs) It was in SUNY State University of New York. And uh, it's a big University system, really. Um, they have campuses in Buffalo, they have campuses all over the state. And I went to the, the, the campus in Binghamton. And um, boy, it was that eye opener, you know, coming from Jamaica. Landing here in the summer, it was still warm. And so you kind of get a committee, a camp. Oh, should I say this? I, I got used to the climate there because it was not too cold. But come winter, you know, come late. Well, yeah, that's a rude awakening, right? isn't it? Like, yeah, we, it was what a, just happened? somebody
0: turn the lights off, right? Yeah, it's a very <laughs> rude
1: awakening. But um, before I get there, let me just take you back a little bit to kind of let you understand my life story a little better. So, so yes, I was, you know, I'm one of four. I'm the, the, the first child, first boy, if you will. So, you know, the Jamaican culture is that the firstborn has got to set the, blaze the path. If you will, because most likely your siblings will try and emulate what you did, or and then you encourage them to outdo what you did. You know, you just want you want them to do better than you did. So I have one brother and two sisters. Um, very competitive bunch, you know. Um, you know, I remember my 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 sister, we we're always squabbling, always challenging each other. And um, in retrospect, when I look back now, I think of all the People that I interacted with in growing up, she probably had the the largest impact um, on me growing up. Simply, She challenged everything I did. She did not just accept it to say, oh, my big brother said this, so it must be so. She would continually challenge me. Um, It was irritating at the time, but what I didn't know, it also allowed me to really develop a very open view on life. Not just to take things at face value, to question them. And so I've always been having that curious niche in me, but it was not always there. It was awakened by my sister, who was a, a protagonist, man. She would just challenge me at every turn I make, you know. <laughs> we would get into real fights, you know, even fist fights at times. Not, not throwing blows, but really almost getting there because she would just be like, you know, on my a thorn in my side. But she made me a better individual growing up in terms of my character, I must say that. Um, another thing that kind of shaped me very early is um, I was very big into sports. Um, I know when people watch these days and watch the Olympics, they see track and field and I figure every Jamaican, that's all we do is, is um, track and field. No, there are other sports, you know, um, a big sport in Jamaica is called cricket. Yes, yes. Yeah, a few Americans maybe aware of cricket. Um, but that taught me real discipline. Um, I ended up being, um, captain of my high school cricket team. Um, and so that taught me leadership at a very, very early age. Um, because the island is very competitive. I will say that, you know, in an environment where have very, very limited resources and very few opportunities to excel. Um, it's extremely competitive. And so you have to learn to hold on to a position. Like because you're captain, that doesn't guarantee that you're always going to be captain or you're always going to be on the team. Mm-hmm. There's always someone else, just like my sister would at times I think she probably was challenging my position in the in the sibling, <laughs> you know, the sibling world. She wanted me probably the firstborn, you know, rather than <laughs> I did, but that's how Nietzsche intended it. Um Similarly with cricket, um, you're challenged daily um, in that position of captain, where someone else always wanted to take your job. And they'll even be so aggressive, they'll come up and say, like, oh, but guess what, this year you're captain, but I'm going in for that spot too. And so <laughs> you kind of learn very early um, to defend what you have. And so Caribbean people and Jamaican is probably the most aggressive of all Caribbean people, I would think. Um, We tend to come across sometimes as a a little aggressive. That's because we're coming from an environment of very few opportunities. So you learn to kind of fight for and retain, not just take getting it, but retaining whatever opportunity or advantage you have um, in the fairest way possible. Um, and, and so it kind of comes out in, 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 and you know, in sports, it comes out in pretty much everything we do when we come here to the U S you know, um, we tend to, um, be the type that want to have two, three jobs because, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the ultimate goal is to go back to the island and someday, retire, build some big house in the hills. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Let me ask you this,
0: Leon, uh, along those lines, because what you talked about is survival skills. Yeah. And survival skills. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about personal branding, a lot of times it's about your your, your personal uniqueness that you use, you leverage it on a a daily, monthly, weekly, yearly basis that is a Mm -hmm. competitive advantage for you. What did you use, you know, moving from like even Jamaica to the United States? What was your unique uniqueness about you? Do you think there was a competitive advantage that allowed you to be
1: the leader that you are? Okay. Um, I would say, first of all, in coming here very early, and most people coming from the Caribbean will tell you this, we realize that the average American really don't appreciate fully all the opportunities that they have and so things that are viewed by typical American as oh that's just normal it's it's a given it's everyday to us it's a huge opportunity and so we tend to turn those little things to to our advantage that's one um, the second thing is that you do have a appetite um, to to advance yourself. And there's one thing that we all come from the Caribbean with. We figure that education is one thing that can't be taken away, but is what you can use to really advance yourselves. Um, And so we tend to take our education extremely seriously. Um, I remember in college, you know, you would, you would, I, I could never understand this in college. You'd be in a lecture and the professor gets done. And they're all in for the door. Everybody's rushing out the door to run out, you know, like they want to get away from. We would kind of congregate around the professor and pick his brain, ask Mm. him, try and get a better understanding of what was lectured. And so you'll hang out, unless you have a class immediately after, you'd hang out, you know, 10-15 minutes with that professor, just just challenging or questioning some of the stuff that he you just learned. Not because you doubt his knowledge or the veracity of it, but it's because you're trying to get a better understanding of it. And so we, we have this hunger and thirst, I would say, for a higher learning, because we figure that is the only way, or not the only way, but that is the main way of moving up socially. Um, it's kind of taught to you on the island. Your parents kind of tell you, you know, my parents would tell me, hey, we didn't make you past high school, and so you have to, Right. And so you're trying to do better than the generation before you, which is not unique to Jamaica. I think that's in our culture. Right. But we kind just take that to the nth degree, you know, yeah. by really pushing very hard. And so when you come here, I remember on campus, people would be complaining about, you know, um, grants and what they didn't get and stuff. We would, you know, get two, three jobs at a 7-Eleven or cleaning somewhere and still make it to class. And that's not because we have a, a better work ethic than anyone else. It's just that we have this drive within ourselves where we put things in context to say, yeah, I'm going to work at this little menial job, but it's to serve a bigger purpose. And it's yes. only for a while, you know? Yeah. You have that outlook. Now, let me ask you
0: this, because I like where you're going with that track of, of thought, because when you're in an environment that would limit the resources, like you said. Yeah. Did you feel... Going from Jamaica, you haven't been to the United States. Did you have family there? I mean, how did you? What were your What were your feelings like? Like, I'm going to leave what I know, comfortable, like what was comforting for you, to a place mm-hmm. of the unknown,
1: yeah. different environment, different weather, everything. Right. How, how did that everything? Feel? And that's a great question because think of it. If I'd gone to New York City, I would have found a lot of Jamaicans there. Yeah. Um, at the time, I think I had at least an aunt or a cousin there. Um. So, you'd have some type of a bridge or a stepping stone to kind of ease your way into the culture. Yeah. I went to New York City, but that was just to catch a connecting flight. After <laughs> yes. after. So, I was in the city for probably, you know, two hours. And then I'm upstate New York, totally different culture, right? Um, and you immerse yourself in this. But we do have um, a certain mindset if you will, that says, I'm not afraid, right? I'm going to embrace this change. If we look at change as an opportunity, you know, change becomes an opportunity for us because um, the reason I'm going to pack up my suitcase, jump on a plane in Kingston (laughs) and fly, not to New York city or Miami, some big city where you have a lot of Jamaicans. I'm going to end up on this flight in SUNY Binghamton. Binghamton is a small little sleepy town, upstate New York. And I'm going to land there, you know, and I'm going to, I'm not going to blend in, but I'm going to, I'm going to make it my own, put it that way. You know, I'm not going to be intimidated by it because I have this very openness where I'm going to embrace other folks. I'm going to walk up. I remember the first morning um, after I checked into uh, my dorm I'm going out. And in a way, being on campus kind of provide a nice incubator, right? Yes. yes. Um, if if it was that I just dropped, dropped in the city and I wasn't in school, maybe it would have been a little more challenging. But I'm in a university atmosphere. So I'm kind of incubated. But not, notwithstanding that incubation, there wasn't a lot of Caribbean people at that campus. So you know, when I went to my very first class, I probably was the only person of color (laughs) in that class definitely was the only Jamaican (laughs) and definitely was the only person from the Caribbean. But I think we tend to have a type of um, personality where we're not afraid to engage someone else. You know, I walk and see someone and say, hello, how are you doing? And how the person respond to me does not defeat my hello. If they respond positively, then that's great. If they don't, I move to the next person. Hey, how are you doing, man? <laughs> and so you kind of have this very open um, mindset where you give everybody else the um, the space to to know you, right? You're not just going to go there and then just isolate yourself in a little corner nobody knows you.
0: You know what I get from you, uh, Leon, from that yeah. uh, description you just gave? Confidence.
1: Yes. That's the word. That's really
0: the word. Yeah. Just confident. You exude confidence. You are confident. Leaving Jamaica, you're leaving a small island. You're going to go to a population of 300 million people. Yep, You're going to go to the most, one of the most isolated places in America. Exactly. And you're going to go there with all this confidence. Like, look, I am Leon. I love everybody. You're going to love me. I love that. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I like how you put it because it wasn't, I am Leon, look, world, I'm here. Right. It's not, it's not, um, you know, boast, boastful or is not overly aggressive. It's more, guess what? I am here and you're here and we're going to interact one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Uh, and as you said, it's confidence. Right. think um, yeah. that at the end of it all, you know, you learn to you learn something more about me. I learned something about you and we, you know, and, you know, we hit it off. Now, you, you pursued an engineering degree, Yes, is that correct? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, that is true. Um, and that was because I was trying to get into engineering school during my undergrad, um, and I, I'm the type, and I've changed since then. I try something the first time. If I don't get through, I tend to pivot and go do something else. I just don't hang around. You have to understand, as I said, the island is extremely competitive because resources are so limited. You have one engineering school in the entire Caribbean. Nice.
0: The
1: yeah. people from all the islands, Barbados, Trinidad, Jamaica, Antigua, you name it, applying to this one school. So as good as you are, you know, it's the criminal la creme. Now, normally people would get it on their second try, but by then I got into physics. I end up loving physics. And so I just decided to finish my degree, you know, doing you know applied physics. Now that was a good um platform to then do engineering because when I came here to do engineering, I found that like a lot of the basis on the foundation was already laid. And it's just a matter of, of applying it. So that was, you know, it was a good segue to that, pretty much. Understood. No, that's that's
0: fantastic. So you laid the foundation for you, obviously. You had a family at home. Yep. You wanted to be successful. You had good confidence that, you know, hey, if I don't make it here, I got to go face my sister back home. Yes,
1: yes. Because, <laughs> so, you know, she was waiting there. She just waiting to say, see, I told you. <laughs> I told you you're not good enough. <laughs> right. You know, like, no, you she don't understand. some I have, yeah. I have no
0: choice but to succeed. This is going yeah, to Yeah, be- yeah. So
1: you really have no choice. And. And that's kind of the mindset a lot of young people leave in Ireland. It's like, you know, I packed my bags and I'm leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when I'm going to be back again. But guess what? When I come back, I'm going to be better than when I left here. You, you know, know, my son in law
0: is from Jamaica.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Uh, I mean, he just came here about three, four years ago. He grew up in the town, I think it's St. Catherine. Okay.
1: Yeah, uh, Spanish that's, that's Town, like, I believe. Yeah, Spanish Town is the old capital. A lot of yeah. people realize that Spanish Town was the first because the Spaniards had Jamaica first. It wasn't, you know, if the Spaniards, if the British hadn't taken Jamaica from the Spaniards, I'd be speaking Spanish to you. Wow. I didn't know that. A did not know this. Yeah, yeah that's why it's called that. Spanish Town, isn't it? That that's simple? why it's called Spanish Town. That was the very first capital and the Spaniards had it. But they were just interested totally in that one location. Right. The Brits now had a different mindset. You know, they just wanted to rule everything, so they wanted to take the entire island. Sounds very British, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I say a, well, you know,
0: I listen to you. You have a very British yeah. accent, to be honest. Oh yes, you know. Yeah, yeah
1: that's true. That's true. Yeah. Speak, English is the first language. There's a local dialect called Patwa, P-A-T-I-O. Yeah, a mixture with some African language because most of us were from West Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, with English, right? So, you know, if you go to the local marketplaces or when Jamaicans get real relaxed and they're speaking, yeah, they digressive to a part for. But for the most part, um, English is the official language of commerce, of um, business, of communicating, yeah. But we do have that tint of a, a British accent in there somewhere. So tell us. So we get
0: back to your story. You you yeah. graduate,
1: yes, you graduated. graduate,
0: and then now you got to like get a job, and, and yes. Then- very so good. tell us that's so how, how do you transcend now like hey i've been now i've got a word and tell us how you get into this because you're not you're
1: right now you're a, a director of it project right. management P. Right. right right so how do i uh, so my journey to that spot so um i'm in Bingham i graduated and um i had met a young lady <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> that, good. good. You know, you're going to kind of see some of the reasons that I met, a, I met a young lady when I was back in Jamaica on campus at UWR, University of West Indies. And um, she had left because her parents had migrated here. So she came up um, with them. And so I was back on the island. I thought that was over, you know, long-distance relationship. That was over really well. But guess what? I'm mean, I in, in Sunni, Binghamton, and um, we got connected again. And she ended up coming to that school. Um, However, when she started, I was in my um, second year. I had like two semesters to go, and she was just starting as a a freshman. Um, And so I graduated, but guess what? She's still in school, and um, I'm dying to get to Florida because I hear it's warm. (laughs) I have a lot of island folks (laughs) down there. They show me pictures of island restaurants with good old Jamaican food. I'm thinking, oh, the heck am I gonna get it? But her parents, when they came here, they lived in Miami. Okay, it's in Miami, so we came down to visit with them and stuff. And I'm like, I really like, you know, the, the Miami area. And so my first job, believe it or not, out of um, Sudbury, Binghamton, was Electronic Data Systems. EDS, it's an old I company. i heard of EDS. Ross Perot yeah. started that company years back. And eventually, I think now it's owned by Hewlett-Packard or someone else. But they were a big systems integrator. And this is a really, you know, quirky turn in my career. So I graduated, you know, I did my master's in electrical engineering, did my thesis, graduated. But she was just in her second year. So I decided now I'm going to stay on at SUNY because she was worth waiting for. Uh Yeah. And I enrolled in an undergraduate course, right, in computer sciences. Oh, okay. My graduate program, I really didn't develop. I mean, it did um, some high-level stuff on computers, and this was mainly on the architecture portion of it, not the coding and programming. So I decided, okay, let me go learn some programming. And believe me, Grant, I graduated. And I've never used any of the hard electrical engineering stuff that I learned. Interesting. I always only use computer programming. Just if, just what I learned from that computer programming class. It's amazing. I, I can't explain this. I can
0: tell you, Leon, I've talked to a number of different guests on the show. And it seems like college is a turning point in their life. That you get on a certain track. Not to say you shouldn't do college. But right. you change. There's an evolution. Yeah. There's a step that takes place that changes the entire course of your life. Like, right. right. And it could be the simplest thing. Like I didn't, I saw
1: myself going one way and it ended up in a whole nother direction. Yeah. yeah. I I enrolled for um some courses in Fortran and C or whatever, you know, whatever the big programming language at the time was Fortran. So first of all, um that was offered in the engineering school. And they also had um, C was just coming on as the next wave, so I did something there too. But I ended up doing two semesters, no, three semesters of um, computer programming. Um, she got done, so I wasn't going to hang around for the last semester. We both left, came up to Florida, and the first job I got was electronic data with electronic data systems as a systems engineer. Nice, and so. I'm thinking, all right, I'm a systems engineer. That means I'm going to be doing what I did in grad school. I'm going to be building circuits, doing robotics. No. The first thing that they did was they send you to their campus in Plano, Texas. That's the EDS campus. And that's where, regardless of your undergrad or your grad, doesn't matter what you graduate with, they take you to the EDS boot camp. And that lasts for about two months. Wow. They show you how to develop systems the EDS way. And so from there on, my entire career, that's what I learned from electronic data systems, the systems design and development is all I've ever used. Interesting. All the yeah. stuff I learned in grad school and my fancy thesis, which was <laughs> about using fiber optics to transmit information at the time, that was all theory. Look yep. at fiber optics today. It is right. the medium. For, trans, you know, for electronic transmissions. But then it was just a theory, and that's what my thesis was on. All I've used is what I did in those three semesters um, at SUNY with computer programming and what I learned from the boot camp put on by EDS um, in Plano for eight weeks. Because once you finish that boot camp, if you're successful, EDS then plant you in one of their locations, and they were all over the country. They were the, one of the biggest systems integrators at the time, and so um, you know systems integration and art, that was just coming to the fore, right? People got right. Past writing isolated computer programs, Now they wanted to integrate systems. And so you know they had me stay on in Plano you know, working for um, two months um, there, and then they put me on that on account. So listen to this now. This is where life is really ironic, and I've learned to go with the ebb and flow of life. So remember, I was dying to leave the North because it was just too cold. So I came to Florida. I'm with EDS. I'm thinking once I finish my training in Plano, Texas, they're going to send me to one of their accounts, like in Melbourne, where they have a big account at the time, or they're going to send me in Plantation, Florida, where they have huge accounts. You know where they put me back? (laughs) Binghamton, North New York. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, it it wasn't that far now. This time I was in Providence, Rhode Island. (laughs) The Northeast, for real. The Northeast, for real. (laughs) Providence, I'm like, seriously? Providence, they had an account there. They just started their account and they need to staff it up. Um, We walked into the building, it was an empty shell we had to get rack the surfers, get them fired up, install this, install that. At least I use some of it. this. I definitely use all the stuff they taught me. Right. Um, in their program. Fired up, set up the account, and in no time, we were running a huge insurance company. Their entire backend was being run by EDS. Because that's what EDS did. They'll go to a business like a bank or an insurance company and said, Hey, you don't have IT guys. And you have all of this stuff that you have to do, you know, electronic processing or claims or whatever. Let us do that for you. And you focus on the business of healthcare or selling insurance. We run your back end. That's how they that's how they made their money. And so they were in Rhode Island. Rhode Island is so small. I tell you, if you drive um four to five minutes in any direction, you're in another state, oh, or yeah. You- are you in the Atlantic Ocean, the North? <laughs> I used That's to live in, in New list. England.
0: I know exactly. I used to live in Nashua, <laughs> New Hampshire. I know exactly where Providence yeah. is. You got all those little states all right. you know together, whether you're Massachusetts, New England, Vermont, all of that. Yeah,
1: right. So that was the second big pivot in my life. I left Jamaica. I went to school upstate. I got back to Florida um, mainly because of this young lady. I'm still married today. We we're married now over 30 years. We got married. Nice. I met her. Beautiful woman. Very nice. Yeah. Came back to Florida thinking, okay, finally I got back. We were, the weather is warm. The accents I'm familiar with and people are talking <laughs> to the shop. Everybody sounds, you know, the same. It's familiar environment. And boom, the first that I got, they sent me back all the way up to uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And so I'm living in Warwick, I remember. Providence was downtown where the account was. I lived in, in Warwick. Which was close to the airport. And um it was fun because I, I get to visit like they have these old mansions in some part in Yeah, it's very pretty. Yeah, Brought over from milk, Europe. Yeah, like brick that, to that, brick of Van mansion. Yeah. yeah, and they would rebuild them and it was fun. It was really nice. And the ocean was there. I saw the ocean for I'm like, whoa, they have the ocean of the Iran. Let's go visit. And this was the middle of summer, like August, and the water was frigid.
0: Yeah. You stepped
1: out into the ocean, and you remember that warm, nice water you have in Jamaica? No. This is the middle of summer. This is August, and the water is frigid. Unbelievable. So that was the, the, the other pivot. So I'm with them. I'm with EDS. And um, KPMG Consultant, they were the consulting folks that they state. This was, they were running the, the, the healthcare program for the state of Rhode Island. And so Got we it. the back end doing that. And KPMG, the state had uh, employed KPMG as their consultant, right? Uh, and making sure EDS did what we were supposed to do, right? Because the state doesn't really have any project managers. They didn't have that skill set. You know, they're more administrators. And so they needed project management help to manage their vendor who was EDS to make sure we delivered what, you know, was contracted to in our statement of work. So you know where it is going. Project management, KPMG, Guess what my next job was? <laughs> right, let me guess. The one behind you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. With KVMG. So we're on this and we implemented the system. EDS implemented the system. We tested it. It's running. Uh, we provided support post-implementation and it's going well. Um, we, I got to kind of know the consultants, but because of the business relationship, you couldn't really get too intimate in that knowledge because of separation of duty, they're the consultants after all. They'd come in each day in their suit and tie, and they look real like, you know, yeah. um, real professional. Us, we just had, you know, business shirts and stuff, because we're programmers, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the project, um, the the lead consultant for the account, or the account manager, um, you know, said, hey, you know, we're going to have lunch around. And one thing with the Northeast and Rhode Island, if you want clam chowder, that's really good. Oh yeah, you cannot beat Rhode Island man. They had some places that sell some serious seafood. I, I I concur. Oh my gosh, coming from the island, you will appreciate Boston and 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 Newport, Rhode Island. I mean, serious seafood. So we went there. We're talking, and he says, "Hey, you know, you know, you guys, you did really well. We have been observing you on the project and, um, you, you did really well leading your team. Now that was kind of funny because I was the team lead. At all. Oh, you wasn't. <laughs> no, I was not the team. <laughs> okay, but they, they said you are the leader because of
0: that confidence.
1: But he said hey, you know, we, we are in kind of impressed how you led that team and you delivered everything you were delivered, were delivered on time, not a lot of rework. Um, you know, how you huddle with the team and kind of just make sure everybody was getting stuff done. We kind of just jump up, you know, somebody's falling behind on their module. Then we talk about modules, right? It's so the old coding paradigm. You know, we noticed that you were so flexible, you could jump. You get your work done and you jump on somebody else's module and help them get it done. Real team player. We kind of like your leadership style and how you led that team. I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking at the time, I'm not the team leader. It was this other guy. That was a team. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, you know, he asked me, so what do you think about, um, you know, consulting, you know, um, like what we did? Um, you know, we manage projects. Um, we know you're a developer and developers tend to love their space and their creative nature. Um, but, you know, what do you think about, you know, uh, consulting like what we did, managing, managing the developers um, to deliver stuff? And so he keeps talking and I'm like, nothing he has said so far really hooked me yet. Yeah. And, he, and then he says, you know, you can pretty much live anywhere you want to live because we travel all the time. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I got your attention. I can't live anywhere I want to live. <laughs> Then he got my attention. I said, seriously? He said, yeah, you know, we have, we have consultants living in Florida, in Texas, on the West East. All they have to do is, you know, be close to an airport so they can jump on a flight, you know, Monday morning to get to the client site. Or Sunday evening, if the client wants them there Monday morning, yeah, and catch a flight, you know, Friday to go back home. That's all I needed to tell my wife, right? Because at the time, I know we were married, so yeah. I went and I say, "Honey, um, we just finished the project and it's going well." And the consultant of the project says, "Um, you know, um, he didn't make an offer, but he kind of." piqued my interest by mentioning the fact that they're looking for people that have development skills to manage projects. Because guess what? And I learned this very early. You really can't manage effectively if you don't know how to execute what you're asking the team to execute. In other words, if you have never done it, I'm not saying you can't manage, but I'm saying you make a better manager by factors of Tens and a hundred by the fact that you did it before. True. Sure. You know what it takes to get it done and you know how to get it done. And that, that to me is something I've always kept. Because if you think of it, if you go back to any advanced cultures today or developed country, at some point they had some type of apprenticeship system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you're gonna be a carpenter, you was an apprentice to a master carpenter. And there's a reason for that. And I think today um, we have kind of lost that. And it's expected because we kind of moved from that industrial era now into an information age where that was very important, that if you are going to manage someone, I think you're more challenged if what you're managing them to do, you have never done it before. No, there's, there's no question about
0: it. Yeah. There's no, yeah.
1: and to your
0: point about, especially in the world of, of mentorship, there's certain things you're going to learn in school. Don't get me wrong, right. certain things. But if you don't get that direct um, support right. and, and and seeing someone else go ahead of you and how they're doing things, so then you right. can learn, that's why we're even having this podcast right now because I truly believe th- that is that there's some gap there right uh you right. can't learn that in the book you've got to right. learn it in in at the moment as it's I'm happening and right and because there's always those gotchas that are going to happen yep. those intangibles that are going to happen and you've got to be able to pivot and make those changes to exactly. pull things off and i'm in i'm in information technology we know okay. that this is not an, an exact science right not there's always going yeah. to be things that aren't going to be as prescribed right right This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www5 to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand.
1: Exactly. Uh, and which is what part of my story. Notice I did a master's, I did all that academic stuff. Yes, I went into a lab and put something together, but it's those eight weeks with EDS in Plano through their boot camp. As I said before, that's all I've used. No, I'm not gonna discount the masters because. I do believe that a bachelor's and a master's really teaches you to solve problems. Mm -hmm. Remember, old professor tell me this once. With a bachelor's, you ask the question, you know, so what is this, right? With a master's, right, you ask the question, so how is this? With a PhD, is the why is this, right? So you, you have those levels. Now, coming up with a master's, yes, yeah, how does this work? I was fortunate to end up with EDS. They showed me how it worked, not just from an academic standpoint, though. Yes. How this works in the real world. Because at the end of the day, they're in business, right, to make a profit. Right. Well, you said something right there
0: that yeah. made so much sense to me when I was in school, especially when I was in high school and why yeah. I like physics. Physics yeah. is about applied. Right. science. Exactly. It's applied, it's, there's a lot of theoretical components to it, but it's about applied science. So you can yeah. actually come out of that classroom with mm-hmm. some knowledge about how things should work or how they should work. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate
1: you talking about that because that, that's important. right. Right. So I'm gonna come back to that very point to summarize my in my little talk here. But so so now I'm I'm in Rhode Island. Um this consultant just mentioned the fact that hey, you know they're looking for people to be management consultants to manage projects. So what he's saying when I call him back is no you're not gonna be writing code anymore. You're going to be managing the people that write the code. Guess why? Because they can write code all day and they enjoy writing these aesthetically pleasing code. That's the most beautiful thing in the world. But at the end of the day, that code doesn't result in someone doing a better job, the company making revenue, or solving some big problem. So what? It's just a masterpiece that you want to put in a museum or an art shop. We're going to teach you, you're going to manage people to, to develop systems, not just one piece of code, systems, integrated pieces that actually does something, right, for some industries. And by the way, you know, as you said, you can live in a way. So I told my wife, I went back to the office and then when I came up home the next day, my wife said, look, hon. I called whom I called mom. She checked out Baptist Hospital and they have three openings for a medical technologist. She's a medical technologist. Yeah. She was working for, I believe, Dana Farber Cancer Institute, which is a huge institute um, in Boston. She usually leave home, take the train down to Boston. You don't want to drive in Boston. Yeah. Work and do the same thing, coming back. We had a little boy at the time that we had to drop off at the daycare. It was really it was really crazy. We had just gone to our third nor'easter. Oh, yeah. I know all about oh, that. Oh, my gosh. I tell <laughs> you, Grant. You found
0: out what snow is. Yeah.
1: Oh, a nor'easter is like a hurricane, but it's not rainwater. It's snow. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I remember the morning after I came down, I got to the parking lot, probably lived in an apartment, and I started, I remembered where I parked my car, but after a snowstorm, the landscape looked totally different. And so I thought I'd parked my car at that spot and I started cleaning it off. Cleaning off about, you know, probably four, four, you know, four, five, six inches of snow. And it's not until I Clean enough, and I got down to the color of the car. I realized it's not I yours. somebody else's car. <laughs> you start started all over again. that don't oh make you move. My God. We're taking this job. <laughs> no, that's after putting on my snowshoes, my galash, my earmuffs, my big old jacket, my glove. I mean, it takes you 20 minutes just to dress to get out to keep warm.
0: Yeah. And
1: Learn a lesson. Whenever I go down after a snowstorm, I do not clean the car. I find the license plate and I clean the license plate first. <laughs> smart move. I heard somebody Yeah, very so smart to do. He called her mom, and believe me, within two days she had an interview with Baptist Hospital, right here in Kenda, where we live now. Yeah, and um, they were looking for for folks, and she was coming from. I mean, Dana Farber. Everybody knows about. If you're in the medical technology world is like the gold standard. Yes. And just that alone. And the minute an over. And by the next Thursday, Con says, you know what? Um, we could, we, you could um, get a U-Haul. You can pack up the stuff. You can drive it down. But I'm leaving like, like f- this was like Wednesday. I'm leaving Friday because I, I got a job offer. I'm going to go down. I'm going to interview and I might just take it. Yes. Yeah. That's how we got back to Florida. Nice. Great story. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I see she you in that line. Yep, she got here. Um, at that point, I, I'm gonna take the job, you know. So as went back, to spoke to the guy. Um, they made me an offer right on the spot. I mean, it was no go interview with HR and all a whole bunch of stuff. No, yeah. yeah. It was at the time when systems integration was taking off big time and you couldn't find enough people that knew anything about systems integration. And I'm so grateful to EDS because they were taking classes and classes of folks leaving college with little or no experience and take you through an apprenticeship program. Right. Was. They didn't call it that, right? But um, they call it the, the, um, the EDS said. So it was... Um, systems engineer developers development or something like that but you literally graduate from it with a certificate blah 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 you know with Raspero signature on it and whatever but when you came out you understand fundamentally how to develop a system not just write an isolated piece of computer code but you could build something integrated it, and it could deliver value awesome. and and that was eight weeks now for the folks listening, Remember, now I had the foundation for this, right? You know, graduating with applied physics and then doing engineering, a master, I had the foundation. So it was easy for me to understand how to be a systems engineer and what it takes and how to do it. A lot of folks, I think, um, and I see it happening with my boys also. Um, we're in a generation where they just want answers. I remember helping my son at Homework on it. I said, Dad, just tell me the answer. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You have to, as I would say, you have to pay the piper. By that I mean, you have to put in the time. If this is your craft, right, and your profession, then the least you can do, right, is spend the time to understand your craft. Yeah. There are no shortcuts life literally there are none absolutely none
0: and so no, I, there, there's long long term yeah. and short term meaning yeah. try to avoid some of the pitfalls but uh, yeah. the fundamental understanding has to right. be
1: within yourself exactly exactly so you have to and so that was what gave me a leg up when i became a a management consultant and i stayed with with kpmg for five years actually yeah Um, I racked up more frequent flyer miles than (laughs) my wife used to say, oh my gosh, she's traveling on, you you come in Friday and you leave Monday or late Sunday and we have a a young little boy, you know, when we're going to change because we can't keep this up. But you know what? Come somewhere we, did, we decided to take a vacation. We flew most places and stayed in the best hotels. And always for the taxes. <laughs> Got to have some perks. Got to have some perks. So that perks. was a perk. Yeah. Put them for four years. And um, as my kids, as I had my second child, my, the, the difference in age between my first mom and my second mom is six years. When I had my second boy, I definitely realized that, no, I can't keep traveling like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, I was just so unfortunate in that we're living here in Miami. And whenever I work locally, I would just go to the KPMG office on Biscayne Boulevard. Yeah. I still have that office downtown. But my partner was out of Seattle, Washington. It's so hardly ever in that Biscayne Boulevard office got a partner all, all the way across the country. So whenever he, it's not like today where you jump on Zoom and you put up a virtual meeting. This right. is, you know, 2000, you know, 1999. I was with EDS from 95 to 2000.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There were no Zoom and no. Um, problems. No, no, no. Or it was expensive to do <laughs> any kind of video conferencing. I no, I no. video
0: conferencing back then too. And right. It's now so, of age, but this is
1: good. Right. So I was either, you know, if we had a project in Texas or I had a project in New York, I had a project in Albany that run for a long time or, or I had a project in Arizona that also lasted a long time. It was just this constant travel, constant flying. And then yeah. when we had a business meeting, I have to go to Seattle. So I'm going right across, diagonal across the country. So it was just a lot of trouble. And when my second son came about, I realized this is going to be another pivot in my life because... Getting married is, changes your life. But you know what really changed your life? Oh, children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, the stuff, you, you have to just change your entire outlook on life. And so I decided um, one thing is not going to happen, that they're not going to grow up, and I miss their best years. True. Yeah. Um, I got to be at that soccer game Saturday morning with those crazy parents cheering their hearts off. No, what you're talking
0: about is like, yeah.
1: and I've seen this happen,
0: like especially people getting out of school and they get choose consulting because they're not married at that point. They got right. free time. Exactly. They're flying all over the place. And they and a lot of the employers know that because they're not tied yeah. up. But once they do get more tied down and they start to have children, mm-hmm. they can't just jump on a plane any, no, any time. And uh, so is that how you got
1: start looking and got into where you're at now? Yeah. Yes. That was the, the, the fourth pivot right there. So I had to find something local. I did find something local, and it was with Rider Systems. Uh, Rider, right. Yeah, Rider, transportation and logistics. Yeah. Um, and that was great because when I got there, um, and, and this was just purely purely by chance. I, am, I know I, I need to be looking for something local, but I wasn't really looking, put it that way. And I think somebody spotted me on some jobs board or something and, um, and reached out to me from Ryder. And I'm like, who oh, you guys even know me? I mean, think of the amount of people out there and you yeah. go, random, whatever. And they got my resume. I went in, interviewed. And to me, regardless of salary or whatever else, which I didn't even, at that point, I was my priority. Can I work locally? Yes. That was, that was all there was for me. That was my number one goal. When I was younger with KPMG, yes, you just starting out as a professional. Clearly, compensation is big. Mm-hmm. But at this point, now where you're having a family, it's more, I need something where um, I'm not going to take the lowest paid job still because you have to take care of your family and you have a certain lifestyle. But at the same time, I'm willing to give up some you know, so that I can... There's other intangibles that are way more important. Yep, yep, yep. And so I started with Ryder, and Ryder was writer in Miami. I got to come home every evening and hang out on the weekend and live pretty much a normal life.
0: You know what we call that? What we call that in in the world, (laughs) especially in the world of uh, branding, especially personal branding. When When you can subtract money, when you subtract money, you take money off the table and what you're doing and you start looking at, you know, what's important to you, those yeah. are your values. Yep. Yeah. Those, are the, those, v- are, your those values. are the things that are, there's no, you yeah. know, monetary component right there that right. you're going to be able to sacrifice. So yeah, money is
1: not everything and it's definitely important, but not the most important thing because that's, that's exactly. an enabler, right? At least at that stage in my life, probably yeah. when I was a young 21, yeah, it's, you know, It's fun. It's money. But at this stage of my life, I could see that I had different priorities. Put it that way. Right. Um, Career is still a big priority, but you had to level set and put things in their right place. Perspective. Right. Perspective. That's a word. And so I enjoyed the fact that I could get up on a Saturday morning and and take my kids swimming. Um, I enrolled them because there's one thing that we believe in the Caribbean. It's a small little island surrounded by water so not most people can swim. And so we kind of go with that attitude. The kids must learn to swim. Yes. So every Saturday we'd go to Miami Data and enroll them and they would learn to swim. And the the biggest joy I had was taking them and teaching them to swim. Having my boys sit on my arm and paddle, paddle and then I move my arm and they don't realize I've I've moved my arm and they're now doing it on their own. Yeah. Fun to me. I could not do that with a traveling job because I'll be flying in either late Friday night, close to midnight or after midnight, or I'll be coming in Saturday evening. And so, you know, you you don't realize how precious time is because I remember what really got to me is one night I came in back from a business trip and I got in at about 10, 11. Mm -hmm. And I normally peep like in their bedroom to see, you know, everybody's okay. They're sleeping. And I saw this person on the bed and they were just like stretched until their foot was off the edge of the bed. I couldn't believe it was my son. In all and, my traveling, he had grown up so quickly and I've missed all of those growing up stuff that you do. That's a huge realization. And you made I mean, the, the, yes. the change. that Not-
0: we're running short, but how did you move yeah. now? You went from Ryder to where you're at now, and I know you've okay. been there. So, yes. Like, so, let me ask you a right? because yes, I realized yeah. that
1: we were over time. So, now keep in mind the story is started out with physics, started out in Binghamton, met you know, this guy went to EDS, and EDS kind of what I learned there in three months is what I've all I've used in my entire career, right? <laughs> all that academic stuff behind me. I pivot now to management consulting where I was just managing teams of people delivering systems. And we were just hitting success. It was the heyday for consulting. You had the big five or what are the big seven? You know, it was Pricewaterhouse, KPMG, Deloitte. Yeah. You know, these were the big guys. And most of them started out as accounting firms or assurance firms or advisory houses. And then they tack on these consulting pieces where they're just dragging all of these kids, you know, who could put systems together. And then they had the management of it. And so they had the total package. So right there, I'm cutting my teeth at managing people. Managing people is the most critical piece of your career. If you want to be in managing, it's the management of people. It's, I always look at it this way. The triangle is people, processes, and technology. The technology will take care of itself. There are people out there smarter than you and I who are staying up overnight trying to figure out the next wigs bag, AI, or you know business analytics or whatever. That's their forte. So the technology will take care of itself. The processes also, you want to get a handle on that because that's how your company is going to, That's how any organization operates. It has some type of process and it masters this process and becomes repeatable, becomes very efficient. But the people aspect is where you have the most variability and the most challenges. Mm -hmm. Because of us have our own DNA makeup and what motivates one person don't necessarily motivate someone else. But the technology and the process is not going to deliver value without the people. And so I learned cutting my teeth, managing teams of people. And the diversity that comes with that people set that you have to manage. Right? You know, people are made up different in different ways. I've managed a project in Idaho.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if you want to talk about, um, at the time at least, a location where it's very homogeneous not um, a lot of um, minorities you're going to find in a team out there right yeah but learning to understand culturally um, how they think or they work or they look at life what motivates them and then i would switch midweek and i have to fly over to philadelphia because i'm managing multiple projects and they have a team now of Culturally diverse folks, city folks, yeah, <laughs> city folks who look at life through a different prism, and so the art of managing people, I'm still learning. And so, I'm a I'm a writer, and something happened, and you remember this: we're in January 2009. Yeah, what had happened late 2008? going into 2009 that you can remember. That, right? Oh, that was the huge recession. Yeah, the huge recession. All of a sudden, Ryder is in logistics and transportation. So folks not buying goods, so there's yes. nothing to transport. So Ryder had to start putting yeah. back. And my position was converted to something else or chopped, put it that way. Um, they gave me a nice package. I walked away. And I went independent consulting. Interesting. Okay. So you're an entrepreneur. My own. Yes, I'm going to use my own name and do stuff. And I did that from February 2009 to about September. And in September 2009, we were working with a client who knew someone and um, mentioned Vitas. And I didn't really reach out because I love my independent consulting. I would be the one out there marketing, trying to yeah. get the job, then get the job, and then I'll, it's a one-man band, right? Yeah. So I get the job, and then I deliver, and then I find the next one. But well, it was really tiring. <laughs> so um, um, someone from, um, is it Stephen Douglas? Because I guess my resume was still on that board. Stephen Douglas reached out and gave me a call, and said they have a client. You know, Of course they can't tell me who the client is, but yeah or whatever, Um, but I wanted to engage my... I said, all right, I'll talk. And um, I got an interview with um, Vitas Healthcare. Did not know squat about Vitas or what they did. Um, Didn't even know that they existed. And um, the key thing is that they were on the cusp of serious growth potential um, in terms of system development. And they needed someone who was like a technical project manager, not just someone who could manage the business side of stuff, but could also manage the technology piece and kind of marry them together with that people skill. And so I kind of fit the bill. Um, And so I kind of weighed my independent. And so I'm like, seriously, it's, it's great that I have that freedom and independence, but at the same time, I needed something a little more stable. Again, when you have a family, you know, that's a huge factor in this. Maybe if I was just alone, then the independent stuff would be fine because I just have to... So I decided, all right. And so I started with VITAS back in 2009, September, and uh, moved up through the ranks fairly rapidly. Um, By 2013, I was made director of the project management office. And it's been... We've just been... When I started with VITAS or census, which is the critical measure, it's the number of patients we take care of daily. Census, yeah or census was like 6,000 patients daily. The entire company at the time, we're in like 12 states, right? From California in the three time zones, all the way over to the Northeast in Connecticut, down to uh, Miami, Florida. By the way, Vitas is a local grown Miami company. It was started in Miami by a a chaplain and a nurse started Vitas. Um, And it was 6,000. Today, you know, Vitas take care of over 18,000 patients daily. Wow. 14, Alien. yeah, 14, 15 states, 14 states plus the District of Columbia. And we have like 50 something programs. Programs are where you actually administer care from. Huge growth. Um, and probably still still,
0: yeah. still growing. And I still wanted growing. to yeah. ask you because this is where we come together as far as when we know each other, Vitas and then HIMS. And yep. so why did you join him? The, tell us about that. Experience. All right. Let
1: me tell you about that. First, I was, um, so being a project manager, I needed to get some credentials, right? Because I'm a I'm a lifelong learner. I'm in this field. I'm doing it. And so um, I became aware of the PMP first, project management professional as a certification. I said, oh, okay, I'm going to get myself certified. It's a professional certification. It will keep me on my toes as far as my career is, you know, the latest. Um, procedures or methods or, you know, just knowledge sharing with, with folks. Um, and so I did my PMP and was with the Project Management Institute, still with them, still paying my dues, um, and PMP South Florida, and I joined their board. Mm. So I was a board member for PMP South Florida, um, was part of the, I think it was Treasury or one of these groups, you know, just like we people, we have various chairs, um, our committees, yes. Yeah, I was, I think I was a part of Treasury. I are doing well, um, you know, going to the conferences, setting up um, webinars, doing really great stuff. And then um, I'm now with VITAS, which is healthcare, right? And so um, you're there and you're seeing a lot of unsolicited stuff comes over in email, you know, um hims the local health information management I'm like, what's this hims thing and so i decided to visit one of their conferences mm-hmm. the famous um integrated conference that they put on oh nice okay <laughs> and i went um you know went with a couple of people from from vitas that were aware of hims and they'd gone to previous conferences by the way Hainsworth, a good friend of both of us. He was yes. the one who took me to my first Amesworth. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Interesting. Because Amesworth is a long time Peter's guy. He worked there like 17 years, then left, and then came back. He teasing the man, you just love the punishment. Yeah. So <laughs> he was, he's there now. He took me to Hims, and I was like, whoa. If you've you been to integrate, it's whoa. I didn't yeah. know the world exists. Yeah. The, the the vendors, the exhibitions, the presentations from people. I'm like, wait a minute, these guys are serious about healthcare. Because yeah. to me, at that point, healthcare was just the people I'm managing to deliver the system. That was it. I don't interact with patients, so do you know? My wife tells me about patients because she works at Baptist, but that's about it. You go to this conference, and people are talking about the next. Wisdom way of delivering care. Yeah. Right. They're talking about these procedures and all of this is enabled by technology. So here's my fifth pivot. That shows me a whole different world of what healthcare, of no, of how technology can enable something like healthcare. Yeah. Because for that, in my mind, healthcare is what happened at Baptist Hospital or, or you know, Regional Hospital or Memorial. We think of healthcare of, as when we go to visit the doctor and in the room and they come and take this and take that. And if you need a procedure on it, do that. You never look at the enabling technology behind it. Some at this conference, and they're talking of cyber wasn't that huge yet. You didn't have a lot of ransomware, but they're talking about the security framework to protect PHI, and and it's all technology. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute, they must have a bunch of people developing and managing those systems, right? Yeah. Flashback, you know, to my EDS days. Flashback to my writer days, right? And I'm seeing it coming all together that going forward. The space that I want to be, if I'm in information technology, is healthcare. Nice. At the time, healthcare wow. was a ladder when it comes to technology. True. Behind banking. Banking was the last big industry to embrace technology, right? When last have you really walked into a bank? It's all online, but it never used to be like that. Right? True. Healthcare is just catching up to that now. We're banking, banking finally embraced technology, and all of that it has to offer us, and realize that's the biggest leverage to keeping costs down. Healthcare has also realized the same thing: that if you want to enable the delivery of healthcare to a mass population as cost-effective as possible, regardless of where they're located, you have to embrace technology hundred percent. And you have, so, the tools are there, is, is the right. adoption. So that was my four Ranger of things. That's the best thing Haynes has ever done for me. It took me to found- that. <laughs> I, I took out a pamphlet, and I wanted to know, how do you join this organization? Right. And um, they said, well, you, you uh, Vitas, and I didn't notice it because I wasn't interested VTES at the time was a, an organization affiliate, which simply means that anybody that worked for VTES could become right. a member of South Florida Hymns at no additional cost, no cost to you. The company paid for it already. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I signed up and I couldn't get enough of this thing. Everything they put out, I would read it. And I was just fascinated by this. And then um, on the the, the the old board thing, I can't even remember how oh, I ended up on the board. I'm still trying to remember. Oh, you know I ended up on the board? Another good friend of ours. Jim, Jim McKean. I knew, it was Jim. Jim. I knew it was Jim. He had Jim to come up. <laughs> Jim was selling something to Vitas. Jim was with um, A- AJ Jay at the time. Yes. Yeah. And when I did my independent consulting gig, Jim was at AAJ. Right, yeah. Right, and so I met him from AAJ and I'm doing my little independent thing. He was their big business developer bringing in these huge contracts. Yeah. I was helping with the little fringe ones trying to deliver on the contracts he brought in. Yeah. The independent consultant was using my management consulting skill to manage a small team at, at AAJ. So as Jim won the jobs and brought them in, I would manage the team that actually deliver on that job. That's, and so talking with Jim one day at lunch, and said, hey, you know, um, he mentioned the word hymns, And I said, yes, I went to the Integrate Conference. And I believe at one point Jim was a president for South Florida hymns. Sure, But this was before I met him. But he still had a board position. And I said, yeah, man, and he says, if you really want to network and you really want to get into this, you need to become a board member. I said, well, you know, let me think about it. Now, here is the sixth people. My, <laughs> my CIO. Yeah, Patrick. I was gonna mention Patrick yes, was a, my a, a big CIO part of that at Vitas at the time was the chair, the, the committee chair for membership. And so one day he asked me to come help him put together some slides. He had a presentation as committee chair. Yeah, and I helped him put it together. We had some good idea. We'll Boom, he put it together. And then after that, every time he had some big thing to do with him, so he'd call me over. And I'm thinking, man, I have a whole bunch of stuff to do, but it's your boss, right? So I go help. And it got to a point where he had so much on his plate with Vitas, because Vitas was in this huge growth spurt. Yeah, um, in terms of enabling. Clinicians, and you know, we move from just a break fix shop in IT fixing stuff, and to an enabler for the business. And so, with Patrick there, the the view from on high, from the board, from CEO down, was look, our biggest leverage in this healthcare space is information technology. And so, Patrick was pulled into delivering a lot more, and so he couldn't keep up with, also committing to the board position for membership. So we were just talking. I said, you know what, Patrick, you know, talk to the, you know, if, they, if they're willing to to allow me, I think I could do this. Yeah. I observed everything he was doing and there was just nothing rocket science to it. He just had to have time to do it. Well, you've yeah. done a great, great job. I serve on the board with you as
0: the yeah. program chair. We've been involved now for what, five plus years or so. Yes. And man, this has been a, Wonderful podcast. I mean, we, we yeah, we've talked yeah. a lot of different things, man. You, you, I'm glad you've given us a lens into your life. Yeah, and I truly appreciate it. Uh, yeah. You taking the time to to do that. And before we we, we got to wrap up now, but before I wrap yeah. up with you, I wanted you to have that moment to if there's anything that you would like to tell the audience uh, and leave them uh, some some knowledge or wisdom on your side. The the mic is yours.
1: Yes, I would say this. Um, if you listen to my story, this is what you should walk away with. Do not be afraid of embracing change. And when things come at you in a path that you think is the right path for you or you're going along, rather than fear it and go the other direction, have the courage to see, you know, I'm not saying drop everything and just run after of it blindly, but don't be afraid to pivot, right? Because, you know, there's a risk-reward risk relationship, as we all know. And there's great reward, but then you have to also take that risk. It's got to make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. And it has to make sense for you to take the risk. But if you notice, every time I had to pivot, it's something I did not plan. And so, if you go through life and figuring you can plan it perfectly and it will roll out like you plan, you'll be very disappointed. You have to be adaptable, right? To read all the signals and all the information that's coming your way and stuff is nudging you in a certain direction and see if it makes sense. If it does make sense, then don't pivot, clearly. But don't be afraid of pivoting, right? Because None of us make this journey and it's not a straight path. It zigzags. But you have to put yourself in a position though where you can take advantage of the change. If the change change comes about or hits you and you're not in a position to take advantage of it, you're either going to run from it, not react to it or ignore it. But if you're in a position where you see, wait a minute, I can take advantage of this change, then you will. It's like you said earlier with Jamaicans. It's confidence, right? I'm, I, I, as we talk, I can remember myself leaving the airport in Kingston with my one piece of package, one luggage bag, right? I'm going to fly all the way across some other continent I've never been to before, and I'm not going to an environment where I even have people of my own kin, Yeah. right? But that is where life pushed me at that time. But it's a change that it made sense because it was an opportunity. I was given a scholarship. I couldn't afford the airfare from Kingston to to New York. I certainly couldn't afford the tuition either. But you were given an opportunity. And, you know, it it made sense at the time. And even though I was going to go somewhere that I, I don't know anyone, I figured that, you know, I would make it. It, there was just something that tells me if I give this my big shot, best shot you know, I, I'll make it. So, you know, life comes at you and it's you wish it you could, you, you know, it could be planned and it could flow how you want it to. But you have to prepare to adapt and pivot when it makes sense. A hundred percent.
0: Everything you said there. This has been wonderful. I want to thank you again. Uh, Leon, for everything that you, you do for, for hams, what are you doing for Vitas, what are you doing for your family, and you're doing for the Follow the Brand podcast. I think our listeners will truly enjoy this segment. You can follow us again on my website at www.5starbdm.com. Yes, you, yep. you can see us also on the uh, Follow the Brand on Spotify and all the other different uh, oh, podcasts. Really? Oh, yeah, Spotify, yeah, YouTube, great. or yeah, YouTube, iTunes. Yeah. Just about everything you can think of, so we're federated just about everywhere. We that's thank you uh, again, and we look forward to the uh, seeing you at a Hims Integrate Conference
1: very, very soon. Yes, I, I am definitely. And by the way, I do look at this also as a pivot. I don't know where to lead, but you know, you I, never know. That's the good thing about it. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that that's how you have to look at life. Thanks. Alrighty. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.